All right, so again, it's good to be here this morning. When I woke up this morning, at first when that alarm went off, because it's at a similar time I wake up every day, uh, I was like, what day is it? I'm like, oh yeah, it's Sunday. So, uh, but then I was like, got excited because I, I was really excited to be in here with the church this morning and to open the word of God with you. And so we're going to do that now. We're going to go right into it. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Exodus and we'll be in chapter 20. And uh, just to give context for those of you that are visiting this morning, uh, we began a series uh, at the beginning of June talking about does, is the, that which God wrote to the Israelites, to the Hebrews from Moses all those years ago, do those things still, are they still relevant today? Do they still have an application to today? And the answer to that is yes. But we, the difference is, is that when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you're given the Holy Spirit, which we just sung there in that song, that the Holy Spirit, God gives us a gift, and, and then we're able to live out life by the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the law has no power in and of itself, other than it convicts, it reveals, it reveals the character of God, reveals our lack of character. But it also points to our need for God, and so therefore it's relevant, and therefore it also reveals that which is timeless because God himself is timeless. So if what was it points to in God's character was true then, it's, it's still true now. The beautiful thing is we now have the opportunity to have faith in Christ where we can live out this life that the law pointed to that was impossible to do without the help of God. Now, just a little bit of a, as we review, uh, we've over the last few weeks in the first four commandments, uh, we've heard that, that God is the only God. He is and there is no other. And therefore, we are to keep him as the one true God and we're not to make anything else God. Whether it be things that are here on this earth or things in our mind or even ourselves, we're to make nothing else God other than God himself. And we are then to revere his name. His name is to be set aside and different. We're to not misuse it as much of the world does in the way they use the name of God and the name of Christ. But we are to keep it reverently holy and set aside and different. And then last week we looked at that as part of that journey with God and being God-focused is that we're to take a day and stop from all of our daily endeavors and give a day over to God that is mindful of him. It's a day of rest, yes, it's a Shabbat day, but it is meant to also be mindful, not just idle, but mindful of God. And so we then looked at that and those four things, which is known as a table. Then we go into the second table where commandments 5 through 10 turn the script a little bit. If the first four were all about the vertical relationship between us and God, where it points to a relationship with God, commandments 5 through 10 actually guide us on how to have healthy relationships with each other. And so I find this striking, the pattern of the Ten Commandments, as it also aligns with what Jesus had in several conversations with other people when they'd come to him talking about the law. And the question would come up, what is the greatest commandment? And the greatest commandment is to love God with our whole being. But then the second is like it, that we're to love others as we would love ourselves. So the, the whole sum of the law and the prophets can be understood by those two commands. To love God 
and to love others intensely. And so the Ten Commandments does not fall short on that. It actually embodies that. It's God-focused, first four commandments, and how to have a good relationship with God. And then and the final is how to, to not violate relationship with one another so that we can love each other well. So today we're going to read up through verse 12. So we'll read through commandment 5 in Exodus chapter 20. So let's begin by reading. It says, And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath, Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your mother and your father. Honor. The word honor has unique valuation as to how the Hebrew terms communicate this. So in its root, it means a weight, a heavy valuing, or a respect that is above other things. So it's, it's more dense. It's more concentrated. It's, it's more significant than any other. And so we are to treat the relationship with parent as something unique and more weighty than all other relationships. In fact, one commentarian says that we should value and prize our parents highly as to the meaning of honor. Now I recognize that sitting here in this room as we engage this commandment, some of you are saying, my parents are already gone. What does this apply how does this apply to me? Well, we're going to be talking about both parent and child relationship. So many of you where your parents are already gone already are parents yourselves. Some of you are going to say, all right, this is already a disconnect because you're asking me to honor and respect my parents. And you do not know how monstrous or how evil they are. For some of you, that might be your reality. And so how do we handle that when your parents aren't good parents? Do we still have to honor them and value and prize them highly as what this commentarian says? We'll get there. We'll ask those questions towards the end. But let's instead look at the text and get make sure that we have full grasp of what it means to honor. 
And so I'm going to share with you something that was written in early 1700s when defining the idea of honor. And the man to do this was Matthew Henry. And many of you know his writings. Matthew Henry wrote this again right around the turn of the late 1600s and, and early 1700s. And he defined honor this way. It is to esteem your parents and your conduct. In other words, to speak well of them and to have the right spirit towards them that would encourage them. It's to be obedient to their lawful commands, which implies that our parents are not perfect. They are flawed human beings. And there might be unlawful commands, and we're not, we'll speak to that here in a little bit as well. But for sure, we are called to obedience to all that which is lawful and righteous. Matthew Henry goes on. We are to come when our parents call. We are to go where our parents send us. We are to, to do what they bid us. In other words, we are to be compliant. And we are to refrain from that which they forbid. And we're to submit to their counsel and their correction. Now immediately you're thinking, okay, wait, wait, wait. I'm an adult. My parents are older adults. Do those things still apply? Now I recognize that there are seasons where the relationship between parent and child adjusts. But generally speaking, honor and, re and respecting somebody that is in authority in your life would conclude these things. To esteem them, to obey them, to come to them, to go where they send you, to do what they ask you to do, to refrain from doing the things they say you shouldn't do, and to submit to their counsel and corrections. But again, we'll address the seasons of adulting with that. But let's also look at the text. It's not only to honor our father and mother, but then there's a statement after that. If we honor our father and mother, God says, you may then live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So keep in mind the context of when these commandments were given. It was before they were to go into the promised land. So it's an entire nation receiving these commands, and they're about to enter that which they've been longing to get to, this promised land. And God says, if you as a nation honor your fathers and your mothers, you will then live long in this land you're going to. In other words, there will be a duration, as one commentary puts it, a duration of existence in this land. You won't be removed from it. You'll find yourself being durable, strong, and wise if you have a culture of honoring your father and your mother. So, in this, parental authority is being established then as something that's directly connected to somehow honoring God. So let me explain this. In the root of honor is this idea of weight or heaviness or something of greater value. If you look at that same root, it's also the same root for glory. Where glory is something of greater weight, significance, or, or, or of higher value. And so how do you differentiate between these two roots than where you get honor in one and glory in the other? Would we not agree that whether we glorify God or not, God is glorious? Would we agree with that? Yes. He is of weight. He is of value. 
Is it also true that regardless of how we treat God, we dishonor him or we honor him? Yes. So there is something about honor by honoring we glorify. So when we honor our parents by doing these things of obedience and responding and respecting and valuing them and seeing that relationship as being more significant than other relationships, by doing that, we glorify God. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 5, which is a restatement of the Ten Commandments. But in there, after saying the command, honor your father and mother, it says, so that things will go well for you. So somebody, so let's individualize this for a moment. So a person who honors their parents, mother and father, is somebody that God says, life will be better for you. It will go better for you. It will go well for you by doing that. And then societally speaking, if you don't do that, it will cease to exist. Calvin says this. Society cannot be maintained in its integrity if we cannot honor those set over us by God's ordinance as reverently honored. So John Calvin, who... <laughs> Several centuries ago is saying that, listen, when you look at this, God is basically saying, if you want your nation to do well, and if you want your individual life to go well, it begins by having a healthy relationship with your parents, one of honor and respect. And by doing so, you will discover that you're giving me glory and your relationship with me will be more intact. Now, is this just an Old Testament thing? Is this just an old Hebrew thing? Is it, does it still apply for those of us who live past the work of Jesus Christ on the cross? And the reality is, it's still the same. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 says this. Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. A restatement, right? Which is the first commandment with a promise. So that it may go well with you, restating what is found in Deuteronomy, and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth, which is connecting to the Exodus version. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Okay, so keep in mind, we're all here in this room. There are children in the room that they're still living under their parents' household. There are young adults in this room that are still living under their parents' household. There are young adults in this room that are now living on their own that still have parents. There are those of you that are parents and are raising kids and have parents. And then we know there are some of you that do not have parents any longer on this earth. There are a lot of different connections to this text for all of us. But we must see that both old and new before Christ came and after Christ has come, the connection to healthiness between relationships here on this earth begins with the relationship with our parents. It begins there. It is of the highest value of relationships here on this earth and the weightiness of it because it's a God-ordained relationship in your life. So we're called to obedience. We're called to honor now, when some, some people might think that this is saying that we're going to live long life because of this. Is it promising that? No, it's, what it's stating is that if you live long life and you're honoring your parents, it will then be joyful. 
if you live long life and you don't honor your parents, may not be so fulfilling. Now, it is also true that we, when we honor our parents, that it's going to extend our lives because if we have a respect for authority, then we're likely not going to die by our neglect of responding to authority. So that removes some of the issues that could lead to early death. But even if we honor our parents, it's, it's not a, an automatic that, well, you're going to live long. All right? So we need to make sure there's clarity in this. It did speak that your life will be better. Your life will be filled with joy. And if you have a culture of that within your family, your family will be sustained. So now, we've got a question here that we need to ask. What about the bad parent? Do I still need to honor them? The reality is, is that many here in this room had parents who neglected you. Some of you had parents that abused you. Some of you had parents that were emotionally non-nurturing. They provided, but that's as far as it went. You've had parents, some of you, that are narcissistic, where they only care about themselves. Are we still required in those contexts to honor them. I believe that when we look at this sincerely and all the examples in Scripture, and I believe that there is a logic that God gives us in this as well, that our obedience is limited to that which is righteous, not that which is wicked or evil. So we are called to, yes, still be obedient to a parent or honor a parent, but when it comes to unrighteousness, I think the game changes. So let me give you an example. King Saul and his son Jonathan. In 1 Samuel 20, there is an interesting dynamic that comes to play. Jonathan's best friend is David. And David is also a brother-in-law. Saul is father-in-law. King Saul is becoming enraged with jealousy towards David. So what does he do? He wants to kill the threat. He wants to eliminate the threat of David upon the kingdom because he saw David as taking over, and he was going to, to take over the kingdom. So Saul wickedly plots to kill David. And he's involving his son Jonathan to do so. Jonathan is now in a very difficult spot because not only is his father father, but his father is also king. So there's dual authority there. And Jonathan has, also has friendship and love and admiration for David. So what you'll read in 1 Samuel 20 is that Jonathan never lost his ability to honor his father. But he did not subject himself to the wicked desires of his father. And, and you can look and see the navigation of that where he continued to give respect to his father, stayed true to his father, let his father still be king in his life. But when it came to killing David, Jonathan would not subject himself to that. So we must always acknowledge that even when our parents are, even though they're flawed in their nature, and they might ask you to do something that is unwise or unhealthy or unrighteous, 
we still must maintain an esteem towards them, a respect towards them. Because by doing so, by giving honor, even where maybe the honor's not deserved, we are then giving the opportunity for what is wrong to become right. If we operate in retaliation, then all we have done is perpetuate and grow the evil that is abounding. So by choosing to honor in spite of the lack of honor that maybe parents are deserving of or been operating under, by showing honor and respect that is undue, we then are giving opportunity for something to change and to be different. So having said that, when we honor a parent that's an abuser, are we to subject ourselves to the abuse? No, we are not. And you'll see this even played out in David's life. David did not stick around to have himself abused by Saul. No, he fled. But multiple times, David had opportunity to kill Saul and to eliminate him. But David did not do so. What did he say? He goes, who am I to lift a hand against the Lord's anointed? In other words, he's acknowledging that God had given King Saul his position. And that position is to be honored and respected. On top of that, he was the father-in-law. So David maintained a healthy view of Saul's role. Honored him, continued to respect him, but he did not allow himself to be abused by him. It's an important distinguishment. So there are times and situations where even as pastor, we get involved in abusive situations. And for the sake of protection, we have to separate the, the people involved for their safety. But we do so with continued respect and honor of those who are in authority as best as we can. Because we're always wanting to lay the groundwork for there to be reconciliation and healing and a change of heart. So continuing on, when do I need to stop obeying my parents? We went through those things like come when they call, go where they send, obey when they tell you, avoid the things they forbid. When does that come to an end when they have that level of authority in our lives? Well, we know from Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 that that clearly happens at the point of marriage. When it says, when man and woman come together in holy matrimony, they leave their parents, their mother and father, and cleave to each other. It's the leave and cleave passage. So there's a clear escape, if you will, from the idea that we have to obey the authority because we're now in a different household. The rest of what I would say in regards to this question is more through the sense of wisdom. When we are no longer living at home, because some people are single till later years, is there a means by where they, once they leave the household and they go into a different home and they're living an independent life, does it not change a little bit the relationship between them and their parents? Now, there might be more of a reliance on the wisdom and the direction and the counsels and the corrections because there's not a marital relationship involved. But it is true, things 
have changed. So respect and honor remain. We continue to see that relationship as important, valid. It's God assigned in your life. It never goes away. So we continue to honor and respect, but it's different. Now, I will bring this up as caution to those who are single and no longer living in their parents' household. Or maybe married and no longer living in their parents' household. And yet your parents have advice for you. They see how you're parenting your children. Maybe they see how you're interrelating with each other, husband and wife. And they want to speak into it. Again, there is challenge in that. But Proverbs chapter 15, verse 5, Solomon speaking to his adult sons says that it is a fool who spurns his father's instruction. So we would be foolish if we're saying, well, I am 20-whatever, or I'm 18-whatever, and, and, we, and we receive counsel and correction from our parent to immediately say, I'm an adult, I don't need to listen to this, and you tune it out. Solomon says, you're being a fool for spurning that. Welcome it. And yes, as an adult, consider what wisdom you can apply and how you can apply it. But don't neglect it. Don't just reject it. Consider Moses' example. I mean, he's already been a prince of Egypt. He has then led a nation out of Egypt. He is now journeying through the, the wilderness, and his father-in-law shows up. And Moses is no spring chicken here. He is older. And his father-in-law shows up and says, Moses, the way you're leading is not sustainable. Moses could say, hey, listen, I've already had success here. You don't need to be speaking. I don't need your wisdom. But something happens where Jethro, who doesn't have all the same background that Moses did, speaks something that was simply wise from an outsider's perspective and, and counsels him and says, you know, you really should divvy out some of your responsibilities so more people can have their needs met. Moses sees the wisdom in it and applies it accordingly. So there's really never a time in our life when the parents could not provide something of wisdom, counsel, or correction that can help us. Because in that case, Jethro actually was correcting Moses and then offer, offered counsel about how he could do it and, and do it differently. Now, this is where I want to speak to the realities of adjustment and change. When we, in the good old days of parenting, when our children were below the ages of 12, they thought we were really important people on the earth. And they responded accordingly. They would be glad to see us when we came home. I remember when I would come home from work and, and my children were excited to see me. My daughter still shows excitement to see me. That's what I love about her simple mind. My son grew out of that a little bit. And, and, and that's just natural. That's part of the, the journey. But as they get into adolescence, there is that point when they're ready to spread their wings and we as parents are not ready for them to spread their wings. We think that there's like a, a magical moment as parents that we're going to know it. But it's happening before we even realize it. And as part of that journey, there is a tension about trying to offer wisdom when wisdom's not desired. 
Counsel is wanting to be offered when counsel is not desired. And it can re lead to a, a, a friction and a tension between you and your child. It's tempting to just throw this first in front of them. Honor your father and your mother. And it will go well with you. You don't. We'll make sure it doesn't. You could use scripture that way. You could even go, that's the Deuteronomy approach. Well, well, let's go to the Exodus approach. And it's like, honor your father and mother so that you can live long. Because if you don't honor me, he could maybe shorten it a few years. Right? So there's a relational dynamic that's going on. But I, good news is if you're parenting teenagers right now, because, again, my life group, they're all about nine years younger than me, and, and so they're in that stage where their kids are get, becoming adolescents, and, and so on. we're all figuring out what the relationship looks like right now. I can tell you there's hope. Relationships do restore, but things are different. I have to avoid the tendency that when the door is opened a little bit, between me and my children where they're like, hey, they want my counsel. That I don't just run in and take up all the space. Because I can get over exuberant in the moment. I need to be like, all right. A little chill coming in. Slow paced. The door's opening. Make sure I don't take too advantage of that moment. And let God provide the space. And give it time and not be overbearing. And I think that's why that word that's found in the New Testament, that fathers are not to exasperate their kids. I need that verse. I can exasperate my kids. Because I have interacted with a lot of people. And I've learned a lot. And I want my kids to know all that I know. And that can overwhelm them, quite frankly. <laughs> But it's part of our journey as parenting. It's also part of our journey as kids. I mean, we get at that stage is where we all get it. Because, like, I'm in that midlife area where my parents are still capable of caring for themselves. But there's still a unique relationship. And let me tell you, with my parents, I've, my relationship with them is on a whole new level. But after they went through that car accident, I had to care for my parents in a way. My dad and I know each other in a way we did not know before. My mom and I know each other in a way we did not know before. And, and, but I tell you, it's good when there is honor and respect in that relationship. Which leads to this question that I want to ask next. What about honoring parents as they age? What's the call for that? What's my role? What's my responsibility I think the world is asking this question, and I think this commercial you're about to see asks and ponders a very significant moment that I think many of us have actually experienced. Let's see it from here right now. So who's it going to be? Tom? Could be Danny. <clears throat> Guess it's all Maggie. Should we have another one? Talk to us about retirement today. Feel comfortable about tomorrow. Mass Mutual. 
I guess that's why Lancaster County has a lot bigger homes. <laughs> they keep trying for that kid, that special kid that we know will take care of us when we're older. And I had somebody from Mass Mutual that was in first service come up and thank me for the business. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's interesting. Did you see the statistic? 55% of people are banking on the fact that their children will pay for their retirement years. Interesting. So what does the Bible have to say about this? All right. So 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4 is the passage that many who have this expectation that when I get older, my kids are going to care for me, which includes the idea of paying for everything. All right, so 1 Timothy 5, 4, it says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family, and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. So, again, Paul writing to his Padawan, his, his disciple Timothy, who was a young man, saying, Listen, we need to teach our people that our faith, our walk with God, our walk with Jesus is best exemplified or at least well exemplified when we care for those who raised us. It includes both parents and grandparents. So our faith is on display when we care for our parents well. We care for our grandparents well as a response for all they've done for us. We provide this care because there comes a point when they can't do the things they used to do on their own. So we provide them. Some of you are having to do that. Some of you are having to do that where you're having to mow their yard now because they can't do that. Or have to get things in their home into place because they can't do that for themselves. It gets particularly difficult if they don't have their mental capacities anymore. We have to care even more in those contexts. And it can be draining. But in particular, this verse is difficult to apply when we feel like we were never cared for in that way. What if you don't feel like there's anything to repay? Because maybe your parents did not own the responsibility. Does that cause you to have to say, I don't think this applies to me now? Again, keep in mind, honor was given holistically. Like, we're to honor our parents and we're to honor them till they're gone. Now, I would say it would be unfair for parents then to presume upon the children to pay for all that care. Because consider what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, after all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Basically, what you're going to find throughout Scripture, while there's not a commandment to say you must give your child an inheritance, it is true, though, in Scripture that it presumes regularly that there is to be an inheritance provided for the children. All right? It's presumed regularly. We're even given rules about how to handle inheritance. Jesus had to negotiate before people that were talking about their inheritances. So it's a point of conflict. Now, I want to acknowledge that there are things that happen, tragedies tra or, or issues physically that wipe out financial accounts 
Those things happen, but those should be the exception, not the rule. It certainly shouldn't be as that couple was doing, planning for the idea that their children are going to provide and pay for their retirement years. No, I believe God's established that the norm should be that we as parents live with disciplined lives, show moderation in how we spend, always considering that there's a day we cannot work and that we're able to pay for it. Our parents, our children, who are often the ones providing the care when we can no longer do it for ourselves, are at a place where they have to pay for things themselves. That there are things their children are going to college. Their children have issues as well. And there are things that they're beginning to feel financially about their own aging. And so it's meant to be that we always are being wise stewards of our finances and not just living with greed or trying to live to the full beyond our means, just presuming that, well, the safety net are my children. The children will and are called to care. And yes, if necessary, financially, but that should be, again, due to some means that were unexpected, some situations. Probably didn't expect this part of the word, did you? But when, I think what it points to is that we have to experience this true reality. Honoring parents and parents to children and children to parents is a lifelong journey. And we have to be prepared for that in mind. So here's three takeaways I want to give you before we finish this service up. First of all, this. Honoring your parents glorifies God and grows your relationship with him. If this is about our faith increasing, we must not belittle the most important authoritative relationship in our lives, dishonoring it, not respecting it, even if it's difficult, and think it won't affect our relationship with God. It does. Because number two is true. Honoring our parents, regardless of how healthy and good they are at it, will help you then learn how to navigate other relationships with greater strength and wisdom. You see, I think we belittle the idea that, that we think it doesn't matter how things are between mom and dad and me. It won't affect anything else. I'll just separate that. The reality is we're always teaching and modeling to others. Your children are watching you, how you handle your parents. They're going to learn how, you, how to handle you when you're old and crazy. So if you want them to treat you well, model for them how you treat your parents well. And then you will also have more latitude and be seen as somebody with wisdom to receive when it comes to relationships. And lastly, do it for the long haul. Honoring your parents is a lifelong journey that will always be a teacher in your life. Embrace that reality. Especially if your parents are already gone and you have grandchildren and children who are looking to you. They need to learn the joy of the relationship between parent and child. is part of the way of understanding how to relate with God, the Father God. Let's pray. So God, I just acknowledge you as Lord.
as our father, as the one that has made this template of how life is best lived. And you have said, life goes better and well, and duration happens in households and nations when there is a culture of honoring parents. And so we repent if we've not done that. We acknowledge our failure maybe where we've not honored our parents. Show mercy to us, but also then by your spirit, help us when we have difficult situations like that. Speak into it, Lord. Guide us where we lack wisdom. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand, please? We're going to close with the song that says, I speak Jesus. And in this song, it speaks to many troublesome issues that we deal with in life. But multiple times it says, I speak Jesus into my family. You see, the family unit is the most precious thing we have. And when that's broken, it breaks a lot of things. So we need Jesus spoken into our families, spoken into our hearts, spoken from our hearts to our kids and to our grandkids, spoken from our hearts to our parents. So as we sing this, let it take on new meaning for us, as this is the hope where God can restore all things.
Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. So I recognize that when you speak to something that's so intimate, 
because you're talking about a family unit. This may have hit a nerve. It may have brought up harm and hurt. It may bring up brokenness that has been long in our history. You need to understand that God sees it. He's been there with you every step of the way. And he wants you to find healing. He wants you to find peace. He wants you to find restoration. And he wants you to find reconciliation. That's why we end with saying we speak Jesus into it. Because it's not by human means that some of these things can be broken. But we can turn the tide of our family unit by being the ones that lead to show what honor and respect looks like to the authorities God's given in our life, particularly our parents. And parents recognizing that we have an opportunity to sow well and nurture well in our kids. And if we've been a bad parent, to repent and acknowledge it and say, I want to turn the page. But I recognize that some of you need to have a moment of just releasing some of that struggle. If you would like to pray with someone about the dynamic in the family, that, that just to have prayer over it. We have people that will be in the encounter room that will be glad to pray with you. I'll be up front, be glad to talk with you. We want to see you experience freedom in your households and in your relationships. We want it to go well with you. We want to see a duration of your household. Amen? So go in the peace of Jesus Christ, knowing what he offers. And if you have parents that are alive today, maybe you could do something creative to show honor and respect today. God bless. We'll see you next week.